welcome to another episode of the podcast and uh this man it's 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 mental one thing in my life is and i've spoken about is a lot of noise you know there's a lot of noise where it's just the thoughts but it's also the physical noise where my phone um voice um over which is the the screen reader is a female voice my computer is a male voice my ipad is another one so it's literally like these voices in my head but they're not really in my head they're in my headphones or in my devices and they're constantly talking to each other talking to me and it drives me up the fucking wall and to add to that noise you might pick up on this there's the pressure cooker which is a very famous artifact in indian households which are used and i'm sure if you ask some indian they're like it's indian pride you bastard you know what it does when pressure cooking a vegetable or when you're pressure cooking a nut it takes out all the things like lectins from the surface of the fruit or vegetable so it is very good it is now in western practices doctors have said that to cooking like this sir uh, to pressure cooking will make it nutrition full and all the bad things out so pressure cooking the most fucking dangerous thing that you can ever use man it builds up pressure if that little whistle doesn't go off or if that little uh, thing on the top whatever it's called it's like a little nozzle if it's blocked i mean it's happened twice in our house pressure cooker's burst and it's just gone like a flying missile but of course it makes the dal taste amazing i don't know it does taste fucking amazing i must admit or if, for instance if you're cooking meat you pressure cook the meat apparently much moist you throw in some turmeric and curd and you throw in some curry leaves and you throw in ginger garlic and it softens the meat but it's a fucking death trap eh i don't understand and it's and it startles the fuck out of you you make, we make everything in that rice dal lentils that's what you call you people who culturally appropriate our food nah but it's a noisy thing and it's a bit dangerous i mean of course you have to get itself like the gasket it's got so many things in fact i almost feel like shit have i learned enough to pass on to the next generation i don't know how a pressure cooker works i mean i know it how it works in the, but like the rubber gasket then you have that what's that whistle thing called the nozzle that you stick onto the top and then you obviously once it's done pressure cooking the food you can't take it out instantly because the pressure has to release and if you take it out it's poof that's it you have dal all over the face it's expl- and you're lucky if the the lid blows off or something happens because then the food sprays all over and the worst case in that situation is that you have what you have great food uh, but if it doesn't then the whole thing just transports like a missile i'm telling you this thing almost hit my fucking head about 12 years back uh, 13 years back i was carrying my niece i was just about entering the kitchen and suddenly this boom and this this missile and that's the fucking lunch came at me <laughs> fortunately it didn't come at me because i would have got a nail it came in my vicinity and hit the wall and bounced off but can you imagine your lunch flying at you at high velocity ready to take your fucking head off and i was carrying my niece and she was two at that point it was a fucking scary experience yeah now you wonder why or now i wonder why my anxiety it's all built up over the years pressure cooker big contributor to my anxiety in life and stress fucking making noise five whistles six whistles and if you're cooking something like a really sturdy goat fucking 30 whistles <laughs> you don't cook goats at home but can imagine like if you're someone in pakistan or i don't know i said pakistan because i mean yeah of course pakistan i mean they eat meat they eat a lot of goat because a lot of muslims in india eat goat and a lot of pakistanis are muslims hey i'm not being culturally insensitive you cunt i'm just stating the obvious fucking everything i have to watch my word but imagine there's some like mountain goat and they're like oh this one's really good it's going to make us work for our meal fucking four five hundred whistles to get that thing even softened and they put papaya oh, it softens the meat but why the fuck would you add things to make something more i don't know i don't get it dude 
Sometimes I love Indian food. It's my uh, the food from where what I've eaten growing up. But sometimes I just get it. Like you add this to the you know, like oh, it has the four elements. It has sweet. It has sour. It has spice, and it has salt or something like that. Uh, no, it has bitter. It has sweet. It has uh, spice, and it has uh, what sweet, sour, bitter, and spice. Yeah, so I like my ladies. Not sour, fucking it. That's an unwashed. <laughs> but anyhow, um, uh, dude, pressure cookers. You know, another thing which is really bugging me now is I've fallen back in love with the game of golf. I've told many of you who've heard this podcast that there's this thing coming up with blind golf, which is going to happen, in fact, sooner than later. It's gay, and yours truly might be playing a bigger part in it than I imagined. Yeah, but, um, you know, when I, I when, when I went to this club called the Wellington Club in Uti, it's in near Kunur, in fact, when I was eight, seven or eight, I saw this, uh, I think my eyes were fine then, just before they went bad. I saw this yellow golf ball and a stick and I said, like, what is this magical thing where you hit it and it goes hole to hole? I fell in love with it. Um, the next year went back and this was, every summer we'd go there because Wellington's up in the hills and it was a beautiful a place and a beautiful time to go and it was very British back then you know like your tea was served and I've spoken about this tea cozy and Anthony was the waiter who would serve tea the tea service was lovely and um, I think the next year we went back and again I, that was my time the only time I would get a chance to hold a golf club and when I came back home I would take a hockey stick someone or some of my cousin's old hockey stick take a tennis ball pretend it was a golf club and ball and hit it but I'd go back there I'm like oh Robert he was the caddy master and he was like oh here, here comes a little sprightly young fucker and I would take a golf stick and hit it and the second or third holiday we would do that consecutive years I hit someone on the head hey yeah but anyhow he's fine I suppose even if not fuck it and um then I, at the age of 14, I think I picked it up at KJ. They started, a, KJ is the Karnataka Golf Association. I started a, a student membership program so I could play because my parents weren't members of the golf club. Hey. And I started. And anyway, you, I, I realized I played bad golf a, lo- a long time. And it's not because of my eyes. I just couldn't get the swing right. I never went for official coaching. I think I went for two classes. I think every caddy who helped me was my coach. And every friend who played with me was my other coach. So literally, I was caught between 30 different points. And bits of advice. Pretty much my life. Just everyone's like, you we think you're good at this. Yeah, I think I'm good at what you said you think I'm good at. But I've now revisited the game. I've been off it for almost six, seven years because my sight has gotten worse and I couldn't see the ball. And I was also about hitting the ball if you can't see it. But, man, the feel. And now I think my swing's in a much better place. But the thing with golf is the moment you discover that you can do something right, you discover about 200 other things that you're doing wrong. So I got my grips right. I got my grip is in the process of getting right. My stance is getting better. My posture is getting better. But then I realized my backswing is not feeling right. So I kept fucking up yesterday. Hit about, mm, my God, that's gas. 250 balls. And I got getting tired. My hands are getting tired. But, you know, it's one of those things. You can't live with it. You can't live without it. But I came back home and I was like angry with the fact that it wasn't going well. But I started thinking about it again. So that means you like doing it. And the same thing with the guitar. I'm like, ah, I wish I could play this. But I, maybe I'm better at golf than I'm at the guitar. So, But yeah, it's a fascinating game. Just the feel of it. And I can't see the ball at all when I address it. I mean, I can, I figured out ways now. I'm making things more predictable, right? My grip has a mark on it. So I'm able to align without seeing uh, my stance gives me a sense of where the club is between my feet. Uh, so I kind of align it depending on which club I'm using. If you're not a golfer, then this probably fucking bores the fuck out of you. I apologize. Uh, so you have different lengths in the golf clubs. You have it from a driver all the way up to a wedge. Or if you're 
all the way down to a wedge, depending on the length. And it goes up in loft. This is a little golf 101. And you keep it, you know, your wedges start in the middle between your legs. <laughs> it goes further towards your left foot if you're a right-hander and further towards your right foot if you're a left-hander. And these various things happen. And you have to find that. It's just about mechanics. It's about finding what uh, what uh, position suits your stance and the club you're playing with. And that just takes some time. So many golfers do this on their own, but since I, I need someone to spot it for me, yeah, they, you know, they're like, no, you're doing wrong grip. And like, oh, fucking get a pressure cooker. So, Grips is getting grip is getting sorted out. Grips are sorted out, and the physical grips on the clubs are sorted out. Um, yeah, I realized that my swing has a natural fade, which I was trying to fight for many years. And I asked a guy; he's a guy at the fitting shop, and he's a pro. He said, "Ah, it's fine. Most professionals, in fact, try to hit a draw or a fade because I'm like, what the fuck? You're telling me this after 20 years or 24 years of trying, 30 years of playing golf, or whatever? Since I was first introduced, oh, 14 years since I was first probably playing golf." But apparently, you can. And the problem is, you hit bad shots, and you're like, ah, oh, well, well. Then you go on YouTube, and you're like, oh, fucking Bryson DeChambeau, you're doing this, and you say the, the DeChambeau swing or the one plane swing, and all these things fucks with your head, man. And then suddenly, so you're like, dinner's ready. Ah. But uh, I think I'm figuring out what uh, I need to do with my swing, and what I want from my swing, and what I wanted from the game of golf. I think that's the most important thing. Uh, I'm able to get out. In fact, I hit it as a workout sometimes. 250 balls. Trust me, you had 200 balls with the driver. Man, you are sweating. And you feel good. You feel worked out. Then I come back, have a hot shower, have my beers, and I'm feeling good. So, not all is lost, is what I'm trying to say. Anyhow, that's a little recap of my week and my, um, what's going on in my life. I hope you guys are well and you're passing on the joy and the joys. I was going to say something dirty, but why? No need to, right? Uh, but yeah, Omicron is all over the place. We're just trying to avoid getting it. Big my wife. Ooh, I almost spilled the beans, but no. Uh, we're all good. Yeah. <laughs> and we're just chilling and everything's fine. And um, a lot of people we know have got Omicron. But uh, yeah, it's one of those things, I suppose. They want everyone's inevitably going to get it. Fuck it. People who say inevitably in a very casual conversation are uh, usually inevitably people you don't hang out with. Um, or inevitably in your face. I don't know why. But uh, it's just one of those things, dude. You've got to figure out whether you want it. And don't impose. And don't blow fucking spittle in someone's face going, hey, I told you. It means nothing. Three days of fever. Five days of quarantine. Be out after that. You know what you should do? Put that fuck on a pressure cooker and just poof, one whistle. Don't let the cap go off. I hope I didn't puff in your ears, my friend. But um, yeah, it's it's 2022. And I have a guest on today's episode, as always. Uh, her name is Nisa. I hope I get the last name right. Suncheri. Suncheri. Um, she has an interesting story. She reached out to me a few months back. Uh, it was for actually Life Gone Wrong, the podcast which I was doing for Spotify. And she's a mental health practitioner. Uh, she also does have a, cup, a disorder that she's coping with. Um, her story is, you know, quite, you know, it's moving. It's it's quite sad and it points what she's been through in her life, like the way, like, you know, her family, like her parents. That's, she'll tell you about it and uh, just giving you a heads up of what you can expect. And, uh you know, just the experiences she's been through and how she's trying to help people through what she's gone and kind of give back. So I think it's interesting um, if, if you are someone who's probably dealt with anxiety or stress or depression in some shape or form, uh, you might 
some of the things she says might strike a chord with you. Uh, it also might, you know, provoke, evoke certain emotions. And so, yeah, give it a listen. She's she's an interesting person. She's reached out and uh, we had a chat. As it was, it was early in the morning, so I do sound a little clogged and a little hungover, just to put that out there. But um, as always, one must commit and one must stick to what he or she believes in. And uh, that's what I bring to you on the Soapy Rao Show. So, without further ado, enjoy the conversation. And as always, I really appreciate you listening to what I put out. So, thanks. As always, goodbye, God bless, cheers, and see you on the other side. Nisa Sunar, welcome to the Soapy Rao Show. How are you this morning, this evening, wherever we may be sitting? <laughs> I'm good. I'm excellent. I'm glad to be here. Lovely. Thanks so much for agreeing to join me on the podcast. And we've been in touch for a few months on the digital email. Uh, <laughs> but uh, how are things? You're sitting in Queens, New York. How are things there? I keep hearing on various podcasts that New York is never going to be the same. But is it? Is it okay? Yeah. Is okay? Um, well, Queens is a lot more chill. I love Queens. I'm mm. born and raised here. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've traveled, of course, but um, yeah. I love it here. It's you know, it, it there's still the benefits of this kind of progressive um, tr- treatment relatively, uh, you know, in mental health. And um, but it's just a lot more relaxed here. I live in Jamaica, Queens. Okay. So it's like southeastern Queens. Um, and because the city is more west. So it's okay, just so a lot this more. Is, this, this is more. I mean, I've never been to Queens. I've, I've been to Brooklyn. I've mm-hmm. been to um that one big road called Broadway. <laughs> I'm joking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the yeah. no, Queens is north, right? Is Queens north or is it? Um... Um, well, if you, there's kind of Manhattan, which is this, I guess, arrow pointing downwards. And then to the east of that, you have Long Island, which is, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, they say it's in the shape of a fish. Uh, anyway, ah. you have Brooklyn kind of is to the you know, closest to, Manhattan, although part of Queens goes up uh, along the East River as well. And then Queens um, goes out further east than Brooklyn. And then at the border of Queens, that's the end of New York City. And then you have two other counties, uh, Nassau County and then Suffolk Uh County. Ah, okay. I read about these in books. <laughs> I've heard yeah. that they exist. And then you have the ocean. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So, so what, yeah. what? What brought? I mean, do you you said you were born and brought brought up, but uh, yeah, I, family y- moved there, or were you ever in India at any point? Um, you know, I mean, I I have been to India. I will mention that. Um, no, my my father is from Nepal. Okay. Oh, fantastic. And, and yeah, and my mother is um, from New York. You okay. know, like. Uh, part Italian, part Hungary and Slovakia, stuff like that. So you got it all. So, That's, yeah, got, yeah. Got a bit of the my, subcontinent, you got a bit of uh, <laughs> the old continent <laughs> or the yeah. new continent, depending on where you're from. Fantastic. Yeah. So so your parents are now with you in, in, in uh, Queens? Um, well, my parents divorced. My mother is, you know, close to me. Um, my father's not really in my life anymore, but they, okay. yeah. So my mother lives in the area where I grew up. I grew up in Bayside, so. Okay, okay. Yeah. And my dad, I, I don't know. He's out in the island somewhere. So, okay. As long as okay, he's there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, the, what what I find, um, you know, that you told me that you're now very immersed in the space of mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
can you talk about that journey if if you're comfortable with it of what brought you um to help people uh because of your own personal experience because just before we got recording you told me about this whole experience you had with this guru and this 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 group let's mm-hmm. call it a group not a guru whatever the name may be um, yeah yeah very easily interchangeable i suppose nowadays but um what was your mm-hmm. experience with it because you seem to have come a long way and um, you, and the fact that you're helping people is amazing yeah i mean i to preface that experience that you know that you're referring to um i'll i'll just quickly summarize that my my childhood was was difficult because of like um tension in my home to put it lightly <laughs> you know yeah, yeah yeah uh discord in the home um which really I, I guess I'm a sensitive and empathetic person, which I realize now as a therapist. Um, but being in that environment is very, very loud to say the least. Um, it, mm. it made me very, very depressed. Um, so one second, sorry, I, 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 I okay, I'm going to let you know before we. Sure, yeah, yeah. I, I do, I do interrupt a lot. I'm a bit of a chatterbox. No, okay. no, that's well. fine. Yeah. Now, the reason I interrupted here is uh, this word you mentioned. Uh, things were very loud, right? And mm-hmm. I'm in this place right now, um, and I think in one of these situations, whether whether it's depression, anxiety, I don't think it's interchangeable. Um, mm-hmm. um, what do you call that when when you say the the, the, the situations, right? But I think there are certain uh, circumstances which you can say, hey, um, you know, even though backgrounds and family upbringing and relationships mm-hmm. are so different, um, there are certain symptoms or there are certain um, environmental situations which are like, ah, oh, you know, whether whether it's like for instance, whether it's passive aggression or mm-hmm. whether it's things like you know relationships which are not where there's no communication, whether it's with the parents or the siblings, which yeah, could yeah. evoke these emotions. So uh, that's that's why I was very intrigued when you said loud. What did you mean? What do you mean by that? Yeah, I'm trying to like downplay the severity of my experience. Okay. Um, I mean, th- hey, just by to... the way, if it's trouble troubling to you to talk about it, please yeah. don't hesitate. No, 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 it's fine. I can, yeah. Um, I mean, I do have some unique insight uh, into my definition of loud, Uh, you know, definitely like screaming, you know, is very distressing to experience. But I also um, my my grandparents, I love they were, you know, they helped me a lot. Um, Theirs was like a safe home. It was a safe place for me to, you know, where I felt safe at home. I didn't feel safe. Um, but they listen to a lot of conservative radio and it's just like very like this piercing sound and they're Ooh, old. Yeah. So they're, they're, they you know, they don't hear well. So it's very loud. Gosh, this I was very totally irritating. Yeah. You know, and I'm on the floor playing with my little toys and the radio is right next to me screaming and, you know, and like, I just blocked this out, you know, it was normal. Mm. Um, and I, I would say also I'm, pretty sensitive to sound in general because um mm. when i was around five years old i started playing the violin right um you know and my my family they they enrolled me in a, a very good uh suzuki school uh like a violin uh, suzuki education is a it's a method of teaching that emerged in the i guess early like mid 19 hundreds okay. by a, a pedagogue Shinichi Suzuki so they're all it's right. internationally known so I went to a, a good Suzuki school and, that and I was played a more f- heavier focus on music and in, in that in that form of teaching like no because certain yeah, I, I'm not it, sure it, of it, Suzuki but I I, I I've heard of yeah. different teachings that use materials which are um, more tactile more auditory no it's not like a general school it's just a, it's just a music school okay so the okay it's just okay. a music it's, school. it's not like yeah. montessori or any of those no things. no okay. no no okay. no. it's okay. just music yeah so i took violin lessons and i was good you know i learned mm. very quickly 
um, I, I was, you know, t- kept up with the good, ki- the advanced kids, you know, my age and, you know, and, um, but, you know, when you're practicing music, I, I've, I've finally discovered this in its entirety now as an adult, you know, when you're a kid living it, it's very difficult, mm. but um, I never both at my home and my grandparents' place, there was never an opportunity where I really had privacy, where I could be in my own space and practice music and focus on the music and not either fear not being watched or being judged um, or being interrupted or mm-hmm. criticized. Like there was never, I never had that space to so practice. Music you, you, you always felt like was something that they that you were expected to do to perform for others as opposed to a sense of solace for yourself um yeah it's strange to say i i was i had the potential to be very studious but my family actually didn't support me enough they paid for lessons they drove me there you know my grandfather was a musician himself retired so he liked watching my lessons but um the suzuki method is very they talk about hands-on education uh-huh. Uh, very much like parents are very involved in the child's development, you know, bringing them to concerts, um, right, practicing right. with the child at home, um, also paying for everything, you know, mm-hmm. paying for the instrument and the uh, everything, all the lessons, driving, you, play, you know, I mean, they did that for me. But um, in comparison to my classmates, I really did not receive that support um, mm. other than just being driven places. You know, my family didn't support me in my practice and the other kids they had that and I still kept up with them. Mm, so okay. um, I think the only difficulties were that my, my posture, my technique was a bit flawed um, because no one helped me like they're supposed to. My grandfather didn't like the Suzuki method because he was old school. He was, he was born in 1915, you know? Okay. And um, he, he had gone to Juilliard out of high school in like 1933, but then he, he dropped out after a year because he had to earn money for his family. So, Ooh, okay, okay, yeah. Okay. So, you know, yeah. it was like great depression this time period. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and he was a gigging musician on the weekends, but. Sorry, which instrument I, did he play? Uh, did he play the violin? He played well? piano. No, uh-huh. he played piano when he was young. But as a musician gigging, he played tenor sax and clarinet. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but his perspective on music also was that like, you know, it's. He didn't really like Suzuki method from what I know. He, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, if a kid is focused, they'll do it themselves, you know. But it's just mm-hmm. that the times are very different now, you know. Now, when I was growing up, like TV was ubiquitous, you know, and video games were ubiquitous. So I, I, yeah. I feel in retrospect, I, I wasted a lot of energy and time being addicted to TV and, and, yeah, yeah, this yeah, sort of yeah. Thing. You know, and absolutely. Um, I mean, I think I'm in yeah. the same boat as you with that one because I was like, oh my God. No. If I had literally committed uh, to whether it's a musical instrument or whether it's a mm-hmm. it's a skill I'm trying to build, um, if I if I spend the same amount of time I, I spent watching you know Captain Planet or Teenage Mutant yeah, right. the Turtles or <laughs> <laughs> some of those shows, um, or I mean I did the same amount of partying, but I think if I spent the same <laughs> amount committed to thing, we could have easily picked up new languages or new skills or whatever people oh, uh, yeah. take hours doing or years doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but so so I want to understand this this idea, right? So you, um, because right now you are a mental health practitioner. You help people mm-hmm. who are going through these situations with Definitely. their lives, right? But mm-hmm. um, look, it's very it's important 
uh, what you said the other time, uh, because I think it's one of those things I'm experiencing. Uh, with mental health, a lot of things make sense in hindsight, you know. When you look mm-hmm. back, you're like, oh, yeah, that, that was something which wasn't good for yeah. me. Or that relationship was toxic or that yeah. that kind of influence was unhealthy for me. But um, the, the fact that you're talking about your childhood, you're talking about the, the influence of music. And, but um, f- for you, you said you developed schizophrenia, which is a, which, which most people, including myself, uh, we don't understand what it involves right because it's mm-hmm. so it's portrayed in movies as just something as basic as split personality but i think it's more complex than that so if you're comfortable talking about it when did that begin for you um and what is it sort of to educate lay people like us what does it manifest as yeah um so i was in college i i my music making in childhood it, it did develop and i eventually went to the uh, conservatory at Indiana university. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a prominent school there. Um, and when I was there, I, I was still struggling with the clinical depression. I, I could not practice for more than an hour because every, when I practice, I would cry just these okay. tears. And this was a problem that started in childhood in my upbringing due to my surroundings. So the, um, every time you played with your uh, practice, your instrument played, played with um, this music, yeah, it would bring out this sense. The cry, of- and that's that. That's not the schizophrenia. That was just pre. No, I mean the depression. I mean depression. the. But yeah, is, is that something which has been in your family? Like what? What is? Uh, do, do, I mean, now looking back. Um, no, nobody in my family is depressed. It was just my upbringing. That's it was crazy. pretty bad. That's yeah. really sad. And sorry to sorry to hear that. Yeah, no, it, it's fine. It's fine. Um, I mean, I, I, it, it's complicated, and you know, family details and this sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah. Um. But anyway, I, when I was in college, I was, I, it was very, very eye-opening because I, you know, I realized that, yeah, I had wasted a lot of time playing games, but, but the thing was the games helped me cope with my upbringing. You know mm. what I mean? Like, yeah. so it, it's, it's not like I feel shame about that because it helped me survive. It helped me stay happy. If I didn't have a TV, I would have, you know, just the kids at schools teasing me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. stuff, you know, I mean, whatever it, you know, but um, yeah, a lot of elements in childhood, they seem like, oh, my childhood was the best. In fact, if you look at it, what are your options, right? Like sometimes when people talk, talk about today's day, the kids nowadays have it hard, it's social media. And I'm like, it's actually sometimes fun because what did we have, right? Besides, uh, I yeah. mean, if you take away certain things which are fun, like maybe playing with your uh, friends or maybe playing with yeah. Lego. Other things like what? They made fun of you. They, yeah. they tripped you on the playground. <laughs> it's not too many elements. Yeah, and that great. was all you had. That was your yeah. world. Like if, you know, if the people in your immediate life were, were not, not cool not, then it's not a really you good had nothing experience. you had yeah. nothing now yeah. with the internet you can meet people you can escape uh, which exactly. is not a good thing but if you don't have anything at home to look forward to then mm-hmm. escape is your only sort of thing you can resort to right exactly i totally yeah. okay, i want to talk about that if you're okay later about what you um, your perception of what's going on now is but i want to hear your story uh sure about, yeah. yeah so when i got to conservatory i mean there were top musicians there who had really had that elite training they mm-hmm. had cooperative parents who nurtured that elite level of training um and when i i, I really had a heartbreaking wake-up call when i realized like you know i i didn't have that year those years of preparation okay um okay. and then you know and not to say that, um, you know, there were, I, I felt just constantly that I was playing catch up. Um, and also I couldn't practice beyond a certain amount of time because, again, the, the crying would get to me. And also the 
the social environment at Indiana, I mean, it's, it, the music school itself is very large. It's got maybe 2000 people or so mm-hmm, a very mm-hmm. big school. And, you know, many people, many Europeans, many, you know, East Asians, folks from South America, you know, um, and Americans. So, you know, it's a very liberal, politically liberal environment, but it's interesting also because the, the area of Bloomington is, was fairly conservative at the time. So you, mm-hmm. you had this interesting kind of political and, and cultural dynamic that you don't really find on the East Coast as much, at least, you know, the East Coast uh, conservatories. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, and, you know, I'm from New York, so I was there and, you know, th- just this notion of, you know, everybody starting dating and pairing up. I'm like, what is this? Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, because yeah, um, I'm pretty independent minded. So I think I just, you know, kind of this cultural clash with my personal nature verse and, and also the, um, the despair I was realizing, you know, that I was behind compared to others and that I couldn't play catch up as much as I wanted because of the depression that really threw me into this sort of existential crisis. Like, why am I here? Why am I playing music? You know, I just, am I just playing because I want to win first chair of the orchestra and I see somebody get first chair or win a competition. I get jealous and angry, you know? And I was like, this is pointless. Like, why am I playing music? You know, why? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my, my mother had been into meditation for a few years and she, she was reporting how it helped her. Um, so it was at the end of my junior year. I, this is 2006. I, um, I encountered a, a, a musician at the school who told me about this meditation practice he did, um, that he liked it. And there was a gathering at a yoga studio, you know, later that day. And, um, I went and I, you know, you just close your eyes and do whatever. So, uh, and I was like, I want to join. Yeah. And I, I got involved with this group. They call themselves a uh, natural path meditation. It's actually um, it, it's called Sahaj Marg uh-huh. uh, meditation. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, they so they I wanted to join and they invited me to become initiated. Um, the group is called Sahaj Marg. Uh-huh. It translates to easy path from what they say. Oh, anything easy and, um, and, uh, yeah. isn't a good exactly. sign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so the the group was affiliated with a, a guru uh, in Chennai. So this was all in Indiana, right? Not yeah. This was in, in Indiana. Oh, not in India. Really, I like, thought India. Yeah, I got confused. No, I did go to I I did go to India. Eventually. Oh, you did. Okay, you did come here. I did. Okay. I did. okay. Yeah. From Indiana to India. Okay. Good. Cool. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, and I, and I, I wanted to join this group, um, uh-huh. because I wanted, a, I wanted a spiritual practice and the people were nice, of course. And it makes um, sense, right? When you're feeling such emotions, you want mm-hmm. to hear someone saying, Hey, there are people who can help. Right. You right. Of, right. Kind of, you, you, you want to re- rely on someone, you need a foundation. And I, I I'm just talking from a place mm-hmm. of, I completely understand what you were feeling yeah, because yeah. I, you, you want someone or some group that can be like, Hey, we'll guide you through this because we've been through it. It's not easy, mm-hmm. but we have some tips which can help mm-hmm. you cope with your situation. And I, it's, yeah, they didn't really even say, Hey, we're going to help you. It was more like, this is master's practice. Let's do it. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, but I did feel a, a strong sense of community because at the music school, I didn't feel socially like I fit in. I didn't have friends. I lived alone. 
yeah. uh, you know, in rooming houses or what have you, you know, and I'd show up to rehearsals, I'd play, I'd practice and cry, I'd go home, you know, and I, I didn't hang out with anyone. So, uh, and I felt rejected at school and nobody was outright rejecting me, not at all. It was, yeah, yeah. you know, but I just, I didn't feel like I fit in. So with the group, with the meditation group, you know, a lot of it, um, it was families, mostly Indian families. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the meditation practice, um, with the guru, um, the, I'll just describe the, the crux of it. Um, yeah. essentially there's this, the, they have the belief that the, the master has this divine energy and he, through a process called transmission, um, during meditation sessions, um, if there's a group session, the, the this meditation is always led by a, a preceptor who is a person who has been, who is personally encountered the master who has been attuned by the master to, I suppose, be a conduit where this energy can flow through the preceptor into the, the Abiyasi, the people. Um, and this is like divine food or what have you, you know, spiritual food that, you know, when you meditate you with the preceptor, you, you receive it. And then when you meditate on your own every day, you're digesting this food and it makes you more enlightened. So, so you're getting more of the stuff that he um is giving through his conduits to yeah right? es essentially yeah so um you know and this was this is all very eye-opening uh you know being introduced to like eastern based spirituality i found a yeah. lot of you know comfort wisdom a lot of answers um and it was it was a, a nice way of life and i still feel you know eastern inclined my father's from nepal you know so mm -hmm. it's part of my heritage as well um so but so, I, I so, yeah. so sorry you said this preceptor would give you stuff from his or her experience with this guru in chennai what kind of stuff mm -hmm. was it was it like breathing practices was it like a stuff to chant no or was it... no i mean it was the the practice was like aside from uh, when you meditate whether it's with the preceptor or by yourself in the morning they want you to meditate and imagine this like divine white light in the heart or something okay, okay. and then in in the evening when you meditate you imagine the um, the samskara leaving your back in the form of smoke and vapor like the negative things yeah. you absorb you know and bad karma and all this stuff and then at night um before bed you're basically repeating a prayer to yourself like saying basically worshiping the master uh mm. you know and they and they encourage this practice called constant remembrance basically thinking about the master all the time so what do you, do you know the person's name uh, are you allowed to talk about it was it? he died uh he died but it was partha sarat raja gopalachari okay i haven't heard of him okay okay and that was in madras in chennai um it was in chennai he he had the ashram in chennai okay right 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 oh so, but did it help you because you, you yeah. yeah i mean the thing was it gave me a lot of food for thought in terms of contemplating enlightenment and this sort of thing it's interesting though like we would have meditation sessions but then when they after the meditation they have the reading from the master uh -huh. and and i'm and it was like i don't like what he's saying like this is not not <laughs> like i'm not finding inspiration <laughs> yeah but yeah. uh you know and like there were videos of him and he has this way of talking it kind of reminded me of my dad which wasn't good so mm, mm. um you know and if you look online there's all this like cults you know bad stories about whatever um 
but um, you know, it's interesting, like as a person with, you know, a diagnosis or what have you, um, besides the, you know, debilitating effects of that, it is, you know, a, I've come to learn that I'm a pretty like intuitive person. So by doing the practice, not even by reading literature necessarily, but just experiencing the practice and having conversations with other people who are doing it, that's how I learned about kind of Eastern spirituality in a sense was I was yeah. seeing it. I was doing it. Yeah. Um, the readings were auxiliary in, yeah. in my opinion, you know, makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, but I joined this group and it gave me purpose, um, which actually pulled me away from my musical focus, but it gave me, like I said, it gave me purpose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, so you said that, but it, that sort of that joining that group, um, mm -hmm. brought out, the, the, the schizophrenia in you. Yeah. How, so how was like, what, what, what do you, uh, what, what was that feeling like? Yeah. So. I had been doing the meditation practice for a full year and um, I incidentally, I had, I had been taking medication and then I, I went off my medication with the supervisor supervision of a psychiatrist uh, yeah. you know, saying the meditation was helping. Um, and that I went off like May, 2007, just giving a timeline. Mm -hmm. So then um, after May, 2007, like my, my thoughts started getting really scattered Okay. And I had never had schizophrenia before, so I had no idea what was going on. So like mm. I was, you know, I had a crush on some musician and I was thinking about this person constantly, constantly, you know, mm. this is like codependency, I realized because I've done it, you know, other times in my life too. Yeah. But I was just thinking about this person constantly, you know, and then I, I went to Texas for six months, six weeks in the summer to play in an orchestra festival. I'm constantly thinking about this person. And then after the festival in Texas, I flew to India, India. Uh, I went to Tirupur right. in, in Tamil Nadu because there was a gathering with the, the master and there was like supposedly 50,000 Abiyasis from around the world. And it was mm. like the celebrating his 80th birthday. The, that was, he's seen a thousand full moons, this sort of thing. Right, right. Yeah. So there was this gathering in India and I went there and I, you know, and the, he came out, the, the actual event was like three days, but there was people there for, you know, a month or whatever. And mm. they had built this whole like temporary city out of like aluminum, you know, siding and whatever. So I, I was yeah. there and I traveled to India by myself, but I met up with friends from my area. So Okay. Um, yeah. So meditating in the presence of the master, um, lot, I was still obsessing about this person. It was so stupid. And, um, but also it was just like, you know, arriving at India, you know, it, it's very different from, from the other side of the world, you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it, it was very hot. It was very hot. Um, and the sun was a lot brighter because of the sun It's closer to the equator. So the sun is very bright from, you know, what I was used to. And it was, it had a different, you know, like it's interesting, like part of my experience too, whatever you want to call it, is that different environments, you know, when you're traveling around the world, I'm sure many people feel this way. The air feels different. You know, the spirit of the air feels different. Mm. So um, it was, you know, and then kind of in the presence of the master with the meditation, it was, again, the air was like spiritual in a sense. And you um, felt that. 
You've, you yeah, said, okay. I did. And I felt it especially like in the moment you feel it, but then afterwards when you're walking around, you feel blissed out. That's a good thing. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it is, but it's okay. Okay. So what happened was I was in India and I did this meditation. Then I returned home mm. and the time leading up to this, it was like, it was like I took India home with me mm. and I was still in this state, but I was also in love with this, uh, musician at school yeah yeah and um we were in the same small orchestra together and um i actually had managed to have a fling with him previously but mm. um which didn't go well and his when i returned to school it happened that i was still obsessed about him and his friends didn't like me for whatever reason they just didn't like me yeah. and it was this battle in myself like knowing these people hate me for being eccentric, what have you. And then, but liking this person, you know, and I started, um, uh, so I, I started getting angry and mm -hmm. in rehearsal, I'm imagining myself like stabbing this person with knives because I hate this situation. And, you know, Ooh. and I was very scared. So yeah. I took myself to the therapist, um, th at Indiana at IU, they have a, a big medical building. Yeah, it's like the health center on the fourth floor. There's a mental health section, and I went there frequently. So I I went there. I I reported myself. I was like, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt this person. You know, I'm thinking about knives, and like they asked me yeah. again, like, do you think you're going to hurt this person? And it was just, I had been obsessing about this person in a codependent manner for the entire summer, mm. and to the point that it was not even an enjoyable experience. I wasn't thinking even of this person even sexually it was just the obsession of the presence of the person mm. and you know yeah, it must be quite um frustrating right because i'm sure at some point you're like i don't want to yeah. think about this person but right yeah i i think that's the the basis my basis for like why guru worship has been appealing to me mm. is like that you know you want this figurehead to worship yeah. and you and, and you haven't found something that works and like worshiping a partner or worshiping a, a crush or you yeah. know and trying to derive spiritual benefit from that kind of worship it, it, it's it's a horrible experience and you know i think that a lot of people who go through that i think oh um, yeah a lot of people who want that i mean um mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't say want it but maybe they mm -hmm. I, I mean maybe they they don't need it but they want it that, yeah, yeah. You know, whether it's politics, whether it's religion, or whether it's mm -hmm. a cult, or whether it's some kind of guru. Mm -hmm. And what's so sad is that these things are teachings from um, a point to help people, right? To be mm -hmm. independent yeah. at the same time, to serve compassionately, whether it's Buddhist traditions, Tibetan mm -hmm. Buddhist traditions, or, you know, Far East traditions or Indian traditions. Mm -hmm. It's to, while it's to, um, you know, you uh, th th use the help of a guru to lead you down, um, you know, because some of these things are very powerful teachings. So yeah. people who've gone down the path earlier will show you a, a way of doing it without hurting yourself or without going down uh, exactly. too deep. Yeah. But many people use that power position of, of knowledge to exploit people, knowing mm -hmm. that there are people out in the world who need this sense of worshiping someone but you don't need it actually but they use that which is very sad mm -hmm. i think there is a benefit to the proper guru worship you know like i still yeah. feel drawn there's there's a guru i follow mildly i'm not part of her posse or anything you know ama yeah. the guru the hugging saint 
I've heard, but I, yeah, I don't know enough about her. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not like totally invested in like going to the ashram and the meetings mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Cause you know, I, I did that already. I feel, but um, you know, like I, I do find peace at times to, you know, have a living example of, you know, of um, self-realization, this sort of thing. I think it's amazing to have someone um, yeah. especially like I think with anything right with music yeah, if someone yeah, knows yeah. more than you um, mm-hmm. I think for them to, to say oh, you know these kind of practices help similarly yeah. I think with spirituality I think someone saying you know I've been down this I think uh, spend some mm-hmm. more time on this but the problem is in today's day and age where mm-hmm. uh, you have you know the internet and you have people who are more lost and scared uh, uh, with yeah. uh, not being you know who they are they're scared of looking at themselves going, am I the right kind of person? Am I going to be accepted? And then you throw all these various other ingredients into the mix. And then you throw this person who comes out going, hey, I'm going to guide you. <laughs> it's, it's oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, and then it's Potential like, oh, for yeah. Exactly. And it's like, I'm going to guide you. Oh, it. we met. It was fated. We were meant to meet. Yeah. Join us. Yeah. Just yeah. No, but so, what, okay. So in a nutshell, I mean, I don't want to take away from you know, mm-hmm. uh, something as significant as schizophrenia, and I don't need yeah. to talk about it in a nutshell. But mm-hmm. what, what so besides this obsessive behavior, yeah, uh, so, what else do you feel? Because it seems like I'm actually leading experience. to, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. leading to the pivotal point. So when I took myself to the psychiatrist, they asked me, like, do you think you'll hurt him? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the thing is, if I, if I am a danger to him, they have to, you know, notify people in, yeah. you know, so I was so scared and I just started, I, I confessed like, yes. And I was just crying all of this, you know, pent up obsession. And I felt like it was like somebody punched me in the, in the gut. It felt like, you yeah. know, and I, I felt like as if I lost a baby, you know, like just bitter Ouch. crying. So, and then after I finished crying, I felt this euphoria. It was like, I was in India again, you know? And mm. I, I walked around and the trees are like bright and um, and just the wind is just like, whoa, like not that I was high or anything, but it was just, you know, and then from that point, then I started having these these feelings like, oh, uh, you know, items, everything has everything's talking to me. There's subliminal messages everywhere, you know, this sort of thing. And, and nothing on substances is just normal. No, normal day. No. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and I did my own research. I mean, I, I, I feel that I had an uncontrolled Kundalini awakening. Okay. okay. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, I've that? heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, this it's it's something that like intense meditation or spiritual practice can kind of trigger this. Mm-hmm. You know, typically like a Kundalini uh, awakening is advised, you know, to be done with a guru or a practitioner who knows what they're doing and this sort of thing. Um but with the uncontrolled awakening, which have, which is, I think, what happens to a lot of people who have mental illness. Yeah. This kind of uncontrolled awakening, um, you know, it has a slew of side effects, including yeah. psychosis. Okay. Um, you know, and and I actually felt it. I mean, it's no, you know, Kundalini is like this energy in the spine. Yeah. Uh, the serpent, you know, and I felt it, I felt it up and down my spine, you know, and um, it was, it felt very powerful. And this, and, uh, you know, the, the psychosis and the things that um, I was thinking, it was all very fixated on the spiritual, 
you know, subliminal messages in, you know, everywhere. And it's just, um, so it wasn't, it wasn't like bad things. It was, it was, it was a sense of bliss you said, right? No, I, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's interesting, like bliss. I feel they talk about bliss as it's like in the spiritual destination that you want to get to where you're happy all the time. But I feel also at the same time, it's non-duality. So is bliss happiness and sad? You know what I mean? Like yeah. is bliss happiness? Cause, or is bliss non-duality? Yeah. So I guess it was a blissful experience, but it was also my mind was not, I don't know. I'm trying to <laughs> describe yeah. these complex no, because, things. Yeah. Yeah. No, because the thing is we, 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 we're sort of taught to think that, there are certain ways that are accepted as normal functioning mm -hmm. members of society who are productive, responsible, who are um, various roles, right? If you want to call it that. Yeah, but yeah. was this that kind of uh, departure from that saying, okay, I'm no longer a functioning member that makes me um, feel different? Or is this the sense that I'm, you know, because, you know, we, we use these words like, oh, look at him, look at her. She's so spaced out. She's so mm -hmm. different. She's such a hippie. She's so groovy whatever these words are right yeah was it that way like you people made you feel different or did you feel that there's something like um that could that, that there's something taking you in different directions where you're not able to um uh, be um uh, the sort of role that people are expecting you to play at the same time yeah. you're not able to be comfortable with yourself so what, what what do you mean uh i mean not what do you mean but what what, what were you feeling uh besides this because from what you're telling me like the sense of uh, perception that everything's cleaner, smells better, the wind is better. It it feels like a good thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. Kind of, well, it, but yeah. the thing is, is that it was, it was. Um, I guess it was. I mean, it. I felt also more emotionally volatile. Okay. And okay. I was very like like I was in this constant state of mania where just. You know, the little a little glance from somebody had an evil aura, and then all of a sudden I hate Ooh. things, and right, I go right, home right, right, right. and I rip out everything in my closet, I throw it on the floor, and then I'm too depressed to clean it up, so it's just a mess for. Oh, it led know. to that. Okay, okay, okay. yeah, okay, yeah, okay. You know, and just crying, bawling. You know, and you feel that 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 particular experience in um, at the, the the thing you went for the, the birthday celebration was this uncontrolled uh, awakening which made you so um, sensitive to your 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 surroundings yeah. and emotion okay yeah and I, I I wouldn't say that like any of my perceptions in a practical sense were based in any sort of reality oh, you know okay. I mean yeah I, in higher spiritual you know teachings or what have you like you know, I, I th I'm not an expert by any means, but, you know, for example, like Native American cultures, there's this idea that like, you know, there's a spirit in trees and this sort of thing. So yeah, like yeah. my, I'm interpreting this piecemeal knowledge I have. I'm not an expert, you know, but my mind is, you know, treating this stuff as like, oh, you know, now this, this tree is alive and is my best friend. And this person looked at me for three seconds. So they're evil. So now they have to die and I'm going to play my viola. That was another thing. I, the Kundalini energy in my body, I feel like it's actually very bad to do, but I was pushing it around in my body. I was trying to push it into the viola and then make mm. this magic music, you know? And like, so when I was practicing, 
I, I wasn't crying anymore. So I thought it was a miracle. And then it was like music became this sort of um, um, yoga and I was pushing the energy into the music, you know, okay. and I kept journals. I still have them like, and I would write my musings about, and I read it now. And I, you know, from what I remember, and it was just nonsense, mm. you know, you so. know, it's, 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 a, it's such a, um, interesting time to talk about these things because you hear of so many people who are kind of you know lost they've lost sort of this um sorry uh this this idea of what reality with the real world is i mean so-called real world right with the um prescribed way of living whether it's with um work or whether it's with family or whether it's with identity and they obviously seek this this the beyond which is this this deeper wiser learnings from the past and mm-hmm. um and with the internet you have access to so much more uh, earlier you, you had to go find the right teacher you had to find the right school or the right group that but now you can just pick up you know to start with youtube videos on say spirituality and meditation and mm-hmm. whatever the teachings you want to find you can find them but what you're telling me like you know it's 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 so important to do it properly because like even now you hear of ayahuasca you hear of uh these various things like doing mushrooms which are now being experimented like with with people using it on mental health uh, yeah, uh right. patients with you know post traumatic uh mm-hmm. stress it's it's terrifyingly powerful that's what we don't know uh, and and earlier like you you spoke about native american group like the shaman would initiate certain people but that would take years of preparation but now yeah, exactly. you can just literally say okay i have $5000 i'm going to go down to this resort in florida and do a week of ayahuasca which is it's yeah. it's so scary because yeah. i can release things in you and we are chemical beings and if mm-hmm. we're not prepared for it it can it can create havoc yeah. in our minds and bodies definitely right? yeah i mean i think this is something that like based on what i've experienced you know i feel like the internet or you know the ease of information to access that we can access now you know you can just read higher teachings on the internet and be like oh i want that you know and it's like yeah, it's like a yeah. it's like a glass ceiling you know every, yeah. a lot of people think oh i'm going to achieve enlightenment in this lifetime i've i've felt that way you yeah, know yeah. because you can see the higher teachings the internet has made this very available to us no and you, you know, can actually you I, can, i'm totally yeah. on the same page as you on that one because sometimes we're like am i levitating yet like <laughs> no, no. yeah exactly and because you can be you know i say glass ceilings because you can see it now it's not a secret mm. anymore yeah you know you don't have to go through a guru to read up on high teachings you know and because you see it then you think you can reach it and you can't yeah, yeah. because of maybe your spiritual condition be, you know and is it even you, meant to be that because it's such a big uh big when i say that it's it's a big amount um of whatever it could be right could it could be an experience it could be an amount of time mm. that it's it's one of those experiences that and, we, and the problem is we put that uh, our filter which is the filter of whether how we perceive life whether it's quantity or quality onto yeah, spiritual yeah. learnings which is not i think in my limited experience is not how to go about it right like you're like okay i spent 8 hours a day meditating i'm going to be um i'm going to achieve uh, attain nirvana like i don't think it works that <laughs> no, way right yeah. because someone could do it for one minute and be in that place and other persons can do it for lifetimes and not find it but i don't know you know i mean in, in no way am i an expert either uh, when it comes to these things but there is a reason why these things are um done and why people in the past have 
created schools for learning when it comes to spirituality. And I think now with YouTube or whatever it may be, I'm not blaming YouTube alone, but yeah, someone's right. like, you know, a five minute thing on like mindfulness. Okay, it's great. But yeah. the sad part <laughs> is when you use a five minute video on mindfulness along with the ways we are living life now, uh, yeah. I don't think it's a good combination. Like it's it's like the fast food culture, right? Like yeah. you know, you get rich quick kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, my experience with this, thing just to kind of wrap up the story and i'll move forward um you know this this volatile state really um it it got worse and worse Mm. and um eventually like i was back home in new york and i had a real breakdown after a final meditation session with the with a preceptor Mm-hmm. And I, I realized at that point the meditation was bad for me because it got worse every time I meditated. Oh wow! So, so it it did significantly yeah. Okay, yeah. have a connection. Okay, okay. Yeah. So after and like it was bad. Like I would meditate and my nose bleeding. My nose is bleeding and I'm like, oh, my heart is crying. It's just like really scary. Oh stuff. my god! That's, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, so basically I was in public. I went to a. It, it was like around new year's 2008 a mm-hmm. couple of days before and i had a meditation session and it made me feel like rattled like my head is hollow or something you know and yeah. and it was very cold and i was wearing thin a thin coat because i thought i was you know i i could stay warm by sucking on lemons like all this stuff so yeah yeah um and then I realized after that meditation, I'm really falling apart. So I like walked into a pizza place and I just started crying. And then eventually some EMS guy comes and takes me to the hospital. So, right. and that was when I was diagnosed with the, the schizoaffective disorder. And then I was told to stop meditating. Mm. Um, and the medication they put me on made that Kundalini feeling go away. Um, but I, st- but I felt like in a fog still. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then I no, went back. I, to, I said the word yeah. crazy and I don't mean it in a bad <laughs> no, way. No, 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 I know. It's crazy I know that yeah. people think that it's so euphoric and Kundalini is amazing. And I mean, I'm not, I'm sure people yeah. are experienced. No, no, but no, what yeah. I mean by crazy is that it's crazy how something can, which is always like now it's like if you moment you say Kundalini is bad, people are like, how can you say that? You don't know anything. You're a, you're an, you know, but it, <laughs> It's such yeah. an uncontrolled power, and oh, yeah. that's what I meant by crazy because I, I don't yeah. know anything. Because no, I, I know this. Is, this actually segues really good into what I wanted to, you know, our next part of the conversation was yeah. just, um, you know, even things like yoga, this meditation, you know, it's, it's been a culturally appropriated, mm. um, in in a sense, you know, or at least it, it has this reputation, like oh, you know do yoga and like you get in shape and you can help your anxiety and you can do this and that, you know, like for many years, I don't possibly even still for me now, I don't know. Cause I haven't tried yoga actually triggers feelings of this, uh, mm. this stuff as well, because I, yeah. you know, because if you get down to the, the basics of, of what yoga yoga is designed to be a path to enlightenment. Am I, am I right? Or, um, you know, I'm going to again, is, contribute to that with yeah, my yeah, limited okay. knowledge. Um, yeah. is yoga is basically it, it the way yoga is perceived now is that it's a bunch of mm-hmm. physical exercises um right. which it's not i mean it is but right. it's yeah. also so much more it mm-hmm. involves a way of life it involves a way of mind it involves a way of breathing a way of 
perceiving mm-hmm. um it, it's a way of basically looking at this existence and stripping away a lot of the stuff that we take uh in the modern day as normal right mm-hmm. um and the the physical asana practice which people everyone now calls yoga is this one point in the journey of yoga and mm-hmm. as you said yeah it is enlightenment but what is enlightenment right is it right. is it not worrying about work or is it not being stressed i don't think any of that mm-hmm. i think that's so trivial and we yeah. can as i said we apply our filters of today's way of looking at the world onto something which is so much deeper yeah and which is this thing so yeah you're right and at the same time i don't think anyone is wrong and again what happens ego comes in the way like no what she said about yoga is totally rubbish and what i said about yoga is right yeah. which is absolute well, nonsense right everyone's yeah, right and I, everyone's wrong yeah exactly and also like the idea that yoga is supposed to serve my purpose like i want yoga to do this for me i want this yeah it's like praying yeah. right i don't think it is as simple as uh, i want my job to be better i don't think that i think that's very mm-hmm. um and i think we are and this is where the the, the human um uh, folly if you want to call it right we we are we mm-hmm. claim to be so intelligent because we we scored so <laughs> high on our sat scores or whatever yeah, stupid right. <laughs> uh benchmark we set for ourselves but this is the thing and we think that oh we are the final answer when it comes to evolution and we forget that there've been civilizations which are way more intelligent yeah. way more wise that have come and gone and we are at the sort of mercy of nature and i think if you realize that and if we adopt the sense of humility i think things the world just gets a lot more interesting and more beautiful to live in you know when we mm-hmm. accept that we're not the smartest you know yeah yeah definitely no so yeah so this 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 thing of yoga you mentioned is thing it's it's there now and i think in a country like india and the indian subcontinent when things go to the west and come back we appreciate it a lot more like oh yeah there's this lady from new york who taught yoga it's like okay <laughs> no i think it's great yoga i, I do yoga and i try, mm-hmm. i try to understand what i'm doing sometimes as well and i talk to my um person the vishnu who teaches me yoga and mm-hmm. and we sometimes sit for an hour and i'm like oh god you know people looking at us be like we wasted an and and we've come to this place going you know what even talking about what we're going through emotionally mm-hmm. is yoga mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you have to stand on your head for 30 minutes and that's a stupid thing right like people you watch and you'll be like you have to do 108 surya namaskaras you have to do uh the the tree pose for 30 minutes so you have to like do warrior for the none of it is set in any particular prescribed way you don't have to do anything in it if it doesn't suit you don't do it like there yeah. are some if you stand on your head for too long you are going to get some if not immediately a neck issue if that that much blood running to your brain and i'm i'm sure you know this and anyone knows it that it's 30 minutes of an inverted pose is not healthy for anyone unless you're <laughs> doing it for a certain purpose right it's like running a marathon yeah. for 30 days straight it's not good for you yeah so, yeah yeah i think those are important things for people to realize is that you don't have to do it as a challenge for instagram right <laughs> yeah <laughs> like no stuff, <laughs> stupid that and this is the obvious thing that people are stupid right like if yeah. if you're not able to understand that um you know and, and then and then they get complain going i did for instagram challenge i don't have enough likes now you, you don't like yourself clearly to start with <laughs> <laughs> well that, that's why i mentioned like this whole glass ceiling like oh yeah. just because you can see it that's oh i understand that yeah i think understanding you know, is such a yeah yeah you know and the it's glass you think you can reach it but you really can't you know yeah no so you are in a place right now you're a lot better i am i, I am I'm, i am I'm, a lot better okay yeah i'm good to hear and you're helping people which is amazing yeah 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, after I developed this, the, I call it schizophrenia, but it's really schizoaffective. Schizoaffective is essentially um, a combination of the schizophrenia symptoms, which is mm-hmm. essentially the delusions, the, the hallucination, uh, paranoia, this sort of thing. In addition to the, the mood disorder, which for me is the bipolar because I've have experienced mania. So it's kind of both. Okay. okay. So after developing that, I, I had to leave college and I tried returning to school after that to, to be a music teacher that didn't work out. Cause I, and basically I kept relapsing and to the point where in 2011, I was like, okay, I can't work. I'm going to go on disability. And that's okay. a whole lifestyle where you're, you know, basically on Medicaid, which is great. You know, it's free health insurance, you know, but you, uh-huh. the government is, you know, now you're getting your money from the government. So, and that's a whole nother thing. But um, I want to ask you a question on that. If it's too yeah, sure. personal, no, no, don't, no, go don't answer it. But when you are put on disability, when you're put on, when the government mm-hmm. is paying your bills and takes care of you. Yeah. Um, so in their eyes, you're, 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 you're unwell, you're sick, right? Yeah. Um, can you ever get out of that? Uh, well, you can always voluntarily get out, <laughs> you know. Okay, okay. okay. Um, but um, no, no, I mean, do the you feel why- different? Do they treat you differently? Is that is what I meant? Like, do, do they keep you? you know, it, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I would say for the majority of the United States, if you're on Medicaid, um, which is the free health insurance, your your options are very limited. You know, doctors, most doctors in your area don't accept it. Um, oh. You're limited, uh, you know, to certain places where only I guess, poor people go, what have you. Mm. Um, hospitals, I think, generally take Medicaid, but it, it, your, your quality of care is going to be pretty low in, in most places. In New York, um, it's a very good place to be if you're on Medicaid okay. because okay, that's um, good to hear. Okay. many doctors accept Medicaid insurance, including private doctors. Um, the hospitals do as well. And um, there's just so many options to, to get good, you know, mm reputable healthcare. Now I find it um, fascinating about America. Like it's everyone looks to America, right? As the, I don't know anymore, but slowly that things are changing there, <laughs> but clearly you can be American born and whatever color you may be, um, you can still be a white or Asian or African American mm-hmm. or whatever the word is. And yeah. I mean, you can be, I'm saying, I'm going to say white American or Caucasian American sure, yeah. and be a second class citizen in your own country because it's money that talks in America, not mm. anything else. And I think, you know, with this entire argument going on now with Black Lives Matter, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not taking away, I don't go down that path. Right no, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we, like in any country, uh, you, you can, you, you'll be treated differently if you don't. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's so unfortunate, right? Like the country that we look up to. Uh, around the world as the leader of the free world or whatever the yeah, fancy terms. Yeah. It's it's so unfair in some ways. It's great in many ways as well. I've lived there and I think it's a great country for some things. Mm-hmm. But um, the fact that, okay, at least now you're being taken care of, which I think is a good thing. But, yeah. Um, I mean, how, how is it? Like, I'm, I'm just baffled, right? One, one part of society which is causing the problem, other part of society <laughs> taking care of the problem. So, yeah. how, so, so how is it for you now every day when you deal with patients or with, with your clients, or whatever the word you call them by, yeah. um, reliving this, because uh, I'm sure you talk to people who have similar uh, similar conditions. Mm-hmm. Is it, does it sort of bring it up for you or does it help? Because I've heard that for some people talking about it to others uh, or rather talking to others who have it is therapeutic. Yeah, I mean, I don't publicly, as a social worker currently working, I work telehealth, so I, 
I okay. work, you know, I'm, I'm, the way we're talking now is how I meet with my clients. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, most of the people, I mean, pretty much everyone that I see has been going voluntarily. Like they have signed themselves up for therapies so that, you know, that's already one determinant of what the relationship is going to be like. Um, because you, you know, you also have AOT, like assisted outpatient treatment where, or you mm -hmm. have my previous job. I was working as a peer specialist at okay. a housing agency in Queens and was a scattered site. So basically people with SMI, so serious mental illness, uh, disabilities, okay. essentially bipolar right. schizophrenia, they're living in uh, apartments in the community and I'm visiting them at visiting them at their homes. I'm taking them to the DMV and all this stuff, you know, case manager stuff. Right. right. So, you know, I'm just mentioning both because I'm comparing. So when I was working in public housing, you know, these are people that are, you know, very heavily medicated. So they're docile mm. and, you know, the they live in public housing, you know, and it's for lack of a better term, it's kind of babysitting, you know, you're not really rehabilitating people so that they can move up in life because the expectation yeah. is that they, you know, can't, or they, they're, they're not intelligent enough. Some of them were, you yeah. know, folks who uh, participate in special Olympics, this sort of thing. Uh, but the bar is very, very low, you know, and that's kind so of, it's, not, it's not giving them a sense of dignity by just subduing them. So they don't get up to mischief. Right. Pretty right. Much. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I, I was very kind to these folks. I mean, I worked with them for six years. It was, they felt like family by the time I left. Yeah, yeah. You know. But um, cognitively, besides their disorder, which is the mental health issues, cognitively, yeah. they're fine. They're, if, if they were treated, they could be, no, uh, they, I, don't, I don't like the word normal, but they could be, yeah. uh, they could manage to you know, pick themselves yeah. up. Yeah, that's what I would, that's the expectation I held for them. And I right, think, right. you know, quote, realistically speaking, that, you know, wasn't the case. Okay. Uh, but I feel like such an important part of treatment, or, you know, worker, client interaction, there's this very important element, which I feel really makes or breaks it is unconditional positive regard, where you unconditionally believe in a person's capacity to, um, to, to really reach their full potential. Yeah. Okay. And when you have that expectation or when you have that belief in a person's agency, I feel that that person is more likely to succeed. Yeah. I think that yeah. sounds encouraging. I, I mean, someone yeah. would probably say that's not all, but I, I think it's, it's nice to have faith mm -hmm. uh, that someone can do, I mean, maybe not to your expectations or my well, expectations, course, yeah. but to their, just to, to hear it. Right. I think it's just kind yeah. to say, Hey, come on, you can, you know, another step. I think another, another, another day, I think it helps. Yeah. Being, being a peer specialist, um, also, especially the training I completed, um, at Howie, the harp advocacy center, I, yeah. I did it in, in 2014. It's a really excellent training program. Okay. Um, in, in, uh, Harlem, like Manhattan that trains people to become peers. Um, you know, that we learned about all these sorts of recovery oriented practices, which, you know, really social workers are trained in college to adhere to. It's just, the issue is that out in the field, you know, social workers, I guess, become co-opted. They have to, you know, oppress people in order to do their jobs and this yeah. sort of thing. So, um, but with, for example, you know, learning about person-centered planning, like a person really has the right to, to determine what they want for themselves at, as their goals. It's not my job to tell a person what their goals are, you know? Yeah. So, and that leads again into, you know, it, it's a whole bunch of terms I could throw out, but, um, yeah. you know, the, the idea that I think 
you know, okay, let me think. What am I? Sorry, I was talking about my clients. Yeah. Um, you know, where they were very different from the people I see now. The people I see now, I guess, are quote more higher functioning. They they have more independent lives in the sense that okay. they have you know responsibilities, families, um, jobs, this sort of thing. So, um, so they're across the spectrum I'm, of yeah. mental health illnesses, right, from anxiety to depression to uh, yeah, right. So you talk to various yeah. kinds of people. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel that my specialty is like adults who have serious mental illness. So bipolar one, schizophrenia, schizoaffective, this sort of thing. But most of the people I see now don't really are not really, you know, quote SMI. Some, a few are, but um, mostly with telehealth, people come with depression, anxiety, um, a bit of, you know, maybe bipolar in remission, this sort of thing. So, Um, yeah. You know, not to sort of generalize, but mm-hmm. um, do you sense, uh, I, and I, I'm sure the lockdown has caused more uh, people to be, um, you know, because you you mentioned two things, right? One is the work you're doing now, but the other thing is also this this meditation, this, I mean, not meditation, but this experience with the guru, which mm-hmm. uh, triggered this for you. Um, and I think the lockdown has made a lot of people confront who they really are. Um, mm-hmm. And do, do you sense like in, in your experience, like um, what are some of the general uh, things that are making people more anxious? I mean, uh, is it environment? Is it the, the, the disappointment with life or lifestyle? So from, you know, obviously I don't want you to divulge any information no, about your course, yeah. clients, but what, what is what is sort of your sense being a practitioner? What, what, what is happening in the world right now? Yeah, well, I think I think uh, workplace stress has um, been probably the, the biggest factor of how people's lives have become more stressful. Okay. Um, just how the, how their work circumstances have changed. You know, schools um, schools in New York are mm-hmm. you know very much volatile based on you know kids not wearing masks in school, and then they come out with you know these ever changing mandates like you know there's this risk of being closed all the time, and then the kids are just so distracted. Even if they show up, they're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one's really learning. You know, like that that i mean it's hard um also just people who work in offices um they uh you know staff they're understaffed so people are you know working so it's more pressure right right right, yeah so then their people are forced to work overtime uh you know even if they don't want to this sort of thing also people working from home um trying to balance you know responsibilities with parenting um you know, when the kids need so much attention already because, you know, maybe um, they have learning disabilities. So, you know, like, and they're struggling with school, uh, remote learning, all this stuff, Um, you know, and then that on top of work that is online. And it's, I think, yeah. yeah. It's not like this pressure, it's this pressure pressure to, I mean, I wouldn't say succeed, but I think the emphasis is so much on the material, right? That, yeah. Uh, it seems like this inability to match your material needs mm-hmm. uh, is causing more and more and more and more yeah. around the world. I mean, if you look at um, from again from my layman's point of view, sure, um, yeah. the more and more countries adopt this material um, pursuit, 
and tells mm-hmm. their people that you know you have to get a better job better cars better mm-hmm. house better lifestyle yeah. the more and more of the sickness is spreading <laughs> yeah know? well you know i i wouldn't say that my clients are like greedy money hungry people like these no and that's the that's trying, the part yeah, yeah it's it, and that's yeah. the part it's not and and it's not at all that you have to be greedy to do it in fact the people who are aware that mm-hmm that they're in the situation are the ones who are <laughs> experiencing right. mental well, health issues the ones that are oblivious yeah. i just like yeah i i want more and more and more i just keep right i yeah. i i honestly feel like the people i see are the sane ones and the people they talk about <laughs> and it's <laughs> and it's sad to go around and i yeah. this is in my own life too you know yeah the ones who are yeah. in touch with what they're feeling and why they're feeling are the ones who are like oh my god i need to change something about the way i yeah or the way in which i look at the way i'm living or the way i'm living itself the yeah. the the sad part and the people who who don't even know what's going on they they're not <laughs> they're not sad or they're not anxious yeah. they're not depressed they're just going about it like um you know i wouldn't say robots but i would say you know like <laughs> people who have been brainwashed to say okay this is the way you have to live and and i think the, the ones like i mean i um experienced 4 5 years of i mean and still have anxiety to a large extent and um and sometimes you look out and you're going why why am i feeling this right why am i, uh, I why am i experiencing this and then if you look at it going you know it's 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 kind of an indication of how to look at uh, your life and how to change certain ways which are not good for you yeah and if you actually say you're the lucky one it's actually true because most people don't even experience it and maybe from when you're suffering from depression you're going oh mm-hmm. but actually maybe it's a way to move on to the path that you're supposed to be and, I, and of course i i want to quickly say that i'm not a mental health expert or not a psychiatrist and i don't want to put my projections on anyone mm-hmm. but it's it's sometimes people just are oblivious to what's around them mm-hmm. and we yeah. think that they are the lucky ones but i don't i don't think they are <laughs> you know yeah but No it's amazing with work you're doing uh, Nisa I think that after going through so much it's very easy to just say you know what I'm fine now I don't want to go anywhere near it but um I'm glad you're doing that and I'm glad you're doing better and yeah. uh, you're okay to talk about it and um I think quick quickly before we wind up I want to just ask how your music is and uh if people want to get in touch with you if Yeah uh, my music is going excellently I have had a lot of awakening uh last year was rough for many of us yeah um yeah. i i had a couple a few jobs i i had to leave i yeah so basically i became unemployed um i was laid off from a job in october okay. last year which put me on unemployment okay. which was great because i had been so stressed and i also my medication um was really not in a place so i was i was actually hospitalized for three and a half weeks uh in December January and that was great cuz actually my medication was lowered oh, I had been okay. over medicated very badly um oh god okay yeah so um so it was lowered and during this time of rest also I I got myself back and I, I um I had some insights into my my upbringing my family circumstances which really were it ripped my part my life apart but at the same time it gave me reassurance that like I'm not as crazy as I think you know things mm. have been hard for me you know basically looking at my life as a social worker you know this sort of thing the yeah. yeah you know I think sometimes it's good to 
know that it's not all you, right? It's not yeah. all on your head. I think yeah. it's not all that you have, because you made to feel sometimes that, oh, it, 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 you, you were given everything and that you, you right, fucked it up, yeah. right? It's not the yeah, case. No. I mean, so many things are social conditioning. Um, Absolutely. So many things, I think, and this is something that helped me, is unlearning is such a big mm -hmm. uh, help. Yeah. Saying this is not the way it, it be, just mm -hmm. because it was told that this is the way, it doesn't mean that it is the way. You can undo it, unlearn it, and figure out a better way. Or uh, maybe it's not a better way. Maybe it's another way of doing things which are right. better for you. Yeah. You know. Yeah, definitely. Also, just um, really absorbing the the this concept of privilege, which has you know really become present after George Floyd's death. You know, mm -hmm. the notion of of privilege and how this idea of upward mobility for everybody in, you know, in the United States as an opportunity, you know, opportunity is not available to everybody, you know, it still is, uh, you know, people are limited by their, in, where they were born into and this sort of thing. Yeah. You know, um, I'm not describing it well at all right now, but, um, th no, I get what idea. you mean. I think that I, yeah. uh, this whole American dream, I'm sitting here as an outsider, uh, maybe it's not the healthiest thing. Maybe yeah. getting a mansion on Beverly Hills is not everyone's dream. And maybe right. it's well, not the ideal dream. Maybe. Yeah. Well, another thing, especially within social work, it's it's well recognized that, ev you know, not everybody has the opportunity to pursue that dream because yeah, of yeah. being born into a disadvantaged um, position uh, or poverty or, yeah. or um, you know, and this is where race gets involved in this sort of thing. So, you know. Yeah, but at the, the same time, when you're force fed that yeah. dream, when you're in that situation, makes it even more depressing or the word. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Well, the issue is then that, you know, people are being criminalized. Yeah. You know, and are more likely to be criminalized because they're coming from a disadvantaged place, you know, people of yeah. color, this sort of thing. So, I mean, I, that's, I'm not a person of color. I mean, my father's, you know, from Nepal, however you define it. But, um, basically looking at my life through that lens of understanding privilege. And I realized like, you know, I music elevated the condition of my life. If I had not been a musician, I would not have gone to, you know, as good schools. Yeah. I wouldn't have earned scholarship to go to a private school. I wouldn't have gotten, you know, an excellent education in, in music, which right. helped me develop myself, you know, in, um, personally as well, you know, I'm well-spoken, mm -hmm. um, you know, or so, so it, it has been judged. Um, hey, no, you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, music has, has elevated the, the condition of my life. Yeah. The sad thing was that once I developed the schizophrenia, I really could not play. So I didn't play okay. at all really from 2008 until last year. And this well, year, a big solid. Break for someone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like 13, 14 years. And um, what helped me was to reevaluate my upbringing. Um, and be like, okay, this is where privilege, you know, and I realized that like, I have been in circles with privileged people. Mm. So for example, my high school, my yeah. college, you know, the, these are, you know, very wealthy people who, you know, don't have the same struggles as I do. Right. You know, and, and now I realize like, um, you know, the, the feelings I've been have I've had like, oh, well, nobody likes me or I don't fit in. Well, I had a totally different life experience how am i supposed to fit in with people who have different life experiences yeah you know yeah. so the the idea of like oh it's all in your head it's not not, not entirely you know it's not entirely no 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 not no entirely. no exactly and you know and even with with mental health and there's this idea of person in environment mm. um essentially like you know a person is part of a community you know is it, part of a system and you know you have the family you have 
um, the, the places that they interact with, like school, work, so forth. You have the community, the neighborhood, you have the country and its politics. You know, it's, it, it, we, we are all living in, in systems, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And we interact with them and systems also affect us. So, you know, if a law is passed that's infringing on my way of life, you yeah. know, my reaction to that, which may be mental illness, is not my fault entirely. It has to do with the interaction I have with this system, which is oppressing me. You know, and that can be on yeah. a, a micro, a, a very small level, too, like a parent or something yeah. like this. You know, it's like this kind of yeah. idea of a community, like a vi it takes a village, you know. And so that. that that's no, I think also this. Yeah, I think there's. There's so many moving parts, right? It's, it's the, yeah. the media, yeah. then there's so many things. So, but no, it's good to know that that you are better yeah. uh, and it's good to know that you are helping people mm -hmm. and um, it's good to know that you're back to your music. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I'm playing really well now. It's scary. It makes me realize that like if I had had that decent upbringing, not decent, mm -hmm. the, the uh, you know, more fortunate, you know, I would have maybe had a, a more prestigious career, but Hey, it's not like too late. Life is, I, I have yeah. hope that, uh, you know, you're going to be the, the, the great concert uh, yeah. viola player is on the Sobe Rao show. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, my dream is to actually bring my mental health expertise in its various ways um, back into the, the music community, the classical music community. Um, yeah. This, this idea, because I feel that um, the pedagogical relationship between teacher and student, um, it's, you know, kind of in this old apprentice Mm -hmm, type mm -hmm. style where you're you know studying with a, a mentor who has you know experience obviously on as a musician you know technically you know expressively performing wise um and also just the lifestyle in general i do see parallels between that and the mental health relationship both clinician and peer uh, clinician and client mm -hmm. you yeah. know but also peer-to-peer -peer with the mutual sense so i have ideas i want to really kind of deconstruct this relationship that mentors have with their students um, and kind of update the profession. I do feel that there's a lot of unregulated, you know, mm. teaching in terms of like, oh, you didn't practice, you're lazy, you know? Yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's kind of this like old school, like centuries old psychology, and there's not really any update yeah. to that sort of thing. Um, it would be great to develop some sort of modality uh, that teachers, music teachers could, you know, use to... Um, engage the students in a more healthy manner. Mm. And I'm sure you have the empathy and the understanding from helping people when you were when you were the peer counselor, that oh, unconditional encouragement. I think that'll be a great uh, application to music and to students who mm -hmm. are looking to learn, but might not have the same skill level as someone else, or might not have the yeah. same time, or might not have the same background where mm -hmm. they might have to go back home to noise or to, lo to loud yeah, environments, which I are know. not healthy. So I think I, I really hope that you're, you're able to do that. And, you know, thanks so much for yeah. sharing your story, for taking the time. <laughs> and uh, I'm, it's not been easy, I'm sure. But no, yeah. I mean, it's amazing that you, you're here today to talk about everything you've gone through and the fact that you're helping people is mm -hmm. amazing. So really appreciate it, Nisa. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely I, I'd like to just finish by saying um, with music, I feel I feel like I finally found the reason to play. It's It's to keep the art alive. It's to keep the art alive, you know, uh, especially with, like with classical music, there's waning interest. Um, certainly orchestras have been folding for at least the last two, three decades and this sort of thing. Um, yeah. And it's it's really an art that has been passed down for centuries. Yeah. And 
you know, it's kind of like you see an epic movie and there's like, you know, one monk like in the mountains who's keeping the martial art alive. And yeah, then yeah. The, yeah. the white hero goes in and like learns karate for three days and he's a master and he can't go, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's just like, it's, I, I yeah. feel like classical music is, is, it's a discipline of that nature. Like we're keeping it alive through teaching it. Yeah. So that's the reason now I feel that um, to play, it's not to perform on a stage. It's not even to, um, I mean, you, it is uplifting people that you know, that's one thing, but even deeper than that is keeping the art alive keeping it hey, alive good on you <laughs> yeah <laughs> all, all, the, all the best for um, you know uh, your journey with music and thanks mm -hmm. for uh, keeping it alive and uh, thanks for joining <laughs> me on the podcast I appreciate it thanks this is really enjoyable thank you so much Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.